It's the Generations End Podcast, episode 10, and we have a stacked episode for you guys today. Jeremy was here. Jeremy, say hi. What's up? How's it going? Sean was here. What's up, Sean? Hey, guys. Tom was here. What's up, Tom? That's me. And Tom's friend Amanda was here. What's going on, Amanda? What's up? And in this episode, we interviewed Bill. He's the owner of a small business on Long Island called Long Island Toy and Game. And for me especially, I'm a big fan of the toy industry, and I'm so glad you guys were able to come on. Uh, what'd you guys think of this episode? It was, it was so interesting to see like like small business owners and you know like how they're affected by all these larger businesses, and you don't really think about it much until you actually talk to one. Yeah, I think it was really cool to learn more about the toy industry and also learn about how they rely on the supplier and they rely on different chains of business that I don't think I really knew anything about because I've never talked to anyone who owns a small toy business. I was a huge fan of learning about all the whole collector world and what makes like a toy valuable and just the whole side of making too many toys. It was such an interesting topic. Uh, it's a great listen that you guys are going to enjoy this episode a lot. Yeah, I definitely thought it was really cool because his store is literally just five minutes from me. And so I visited before and I've seen it, but just to kind of learn more about it and just to support local businesses, um, I feel like is really cool. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting conversation. Support your local businesses during uh, this time because they were struggling. Yes, please support small businesses. We'll have links to everywhere where you can follow Bill's store below. His prices are actually cheaper than a lot of items you can find on Amazon and other big retailers. So check out Bill's website. There's the links in the description below. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this conversation about the toy industry. Bill, thanks so much for uh, joining us in the show. This is really exciting to meet a independent toy store owner. And I love toys so much and everyone here uh, has a special connection with toys. So if you don't mind me starting off the show first, how'd you get to the toy industry and describe us a little bit about your store? Obviously as a kid, I loved my toys and uh, being 50 years old, uh, there wasn't much besides toys to play with as a child. <laughs> But for professionally, I worked in IT for a little over 20 years, and uh, it was going to be my retirement plan. I figured, you know, I'll retire and open up a store, and if it does well, it does well. If it doesn't do well, it doesn't, you know, no big deal, because I will have saved up a nest egg, and it'll just be to keep me busy. But mm -hmm. then uh, the last IT job I had with Associated Press, I got laid off in 2009, and I was just sick of getting laid off every three or four years. I hate interviews. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. I was sick of the corporate environment. So I decided to give my retirement plan an early shot. Oh, wow. So they actually, I guess you didn't have a stable job. It was always just moving around. Yeah, IT was, I don't know. I don't think it is right now, but for a good 10 years, it was a, a terrible field. You couldn't keep a job. They would just lay you off and hire somebody cheaper and, mm -hmm go through the interview process all over again and get a new job that paid less than the one you just left. Yeah, get a few my... raises, get laid off. They hire somebody right out of college for a lot less. It was oh, just wow. a never-ending cycle. Oh, yeah, my, dad did, my dad did IT for a number of years around the same time. And 
he had the same experience. He would get he would get a job somewhere. He'd get laid off for someone with, who was fresh out of the college that had more experience in terms of the newer programs and stuff like that that people needed to work with. So, and I people totally, right out of college, they're like twenty five thousand dollars. Holy cow, that's a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. Not when you have a degree. It's not a whole lot. Yeah. So, what made you want to start a toy store in particular? Was it just because you had such a passion for it growing up? wanted to have some sort of store. I didn't know exactly what, but uh, I had a pretty extensive collection myself. I was like, well, it's pretty much a ready-made store as far as inventory goes. Let's give it a shot because I enjoy it and I enjoy collectors and talking to collectors and people just come in and chit-chat and, you know, if it's a good conversation, I enjoy the day, whether they buy something or not. So you've always yeah. been a collector. I mean, I didn't have enough to fill the store, but it wasn't bare either. And then, you know, once I had the storefront, I was able to open up retail, retail uh, wholesale accounts, get new merchandise. What's like the biggest collection that you have of any set of products? Well, at this point, I've pretty much sold most of it. <laughs> uh, that's fair. It was probably Star Wars because I don't think there's any other product line that had that much merchandise. I mean, not even G.I. Joe or Transformers had as much product as Star Wars did. Well, I mean, since we're actually on the topic of Star Wars, I guess we can ask that. I mean, what are your thoughts on the declining sales of Star Wars toys? I think, like I said, they just had too much product. Collectors, a vast majority of them are completionists. And it's pretty much nearly impossible to complete some of these lines. Um. And stores can't carry everything. It could probably be pretty hard to start to complete your collection but for the fact alone that you have every store has an exclusive toy and True. every company is trying to get a, a license to make Star Wars toys. And even if you're not a collector, like just going in to buy a toy for yourself or for somebody else, when there is that much product that's overwhelming, people don't know what to pick and they just walk out with nothing. The thing about Hasbro that I have a big problem with him is like when they start seeing a declining of of toys, what's the first thing they do? Oh, let's reboot the vintage collection, you know, which is the same Luke Skywalker Tatooine figure that we've seen a bunch of times just with a different paint scheme and, you know, add a couple of points of articulation. So I think that has really hurt Hasbro's newest line of Star Wars toys for sure, because whenever they try to experiment with a product or they try to launch new ships or new or new figures they, for some reason, always have this instinct to go back to the vintage collection. And I think one of the problems, too, that we're seeing, and, and Bill, you could probably add on to this since you seemed like you grew up with Star Wars back when it was you know, in its absolute prime, was Kenner, when they first started doing Star Wars toys, they realized that the, the waves that they needed to focus on were the three and three quarter inch figures. But now we're starting seeing Hasbro starting doing this Black Series line, which is them Basically, they, they have the six inch line, then they have the three and three quarter inch line. Now they're having the like the 12 inch line. So there's too many lines for people to start collecting. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think you got several camps on this. You have people that just collect three and three quarter. You have people that just collect six inch. And you have people that collect both. And I don't think anybody collects the 12 inch, at least not from Hasbro, because the detail is just not there. They're very cheap looking. They're like the Titans heroes. I don't think they have any collectability at all. I think that's just for little kids to play with, which is not really where the money is for that line. I think they should do what uh, Playmates did in the late 80s and early 90s with their Star Trek toys. They were all numbered. 
with a little gold foil sticker on the package and a number printed on the bottom of the foot. I mean, collectors really like that. Yeah, that makes it easier for collectors, which makes it more profitable for them because collectors are a large portion of their buyer base. So, And if you're lucky enough to get one that's numbered like 500 or under, it'd be like, that's always more desirable than one that's labeled 10,000, the mold's fresher. There's like no downside to actually numbering your products then. And going back to the retro thing you mentioned a few minutes ago, I don't know how most people feel, but I feel they're ripping the customer off because they're charging nearly, if not exactly, the same price as they are for their new stuff. But there's no R&D cost. There's no tool and die cost. There's no, you know, the packaging has already been designed. It doesn't cost anything to put a different color of paint on it. It should be offered for a lot less money. The three and three quarter inch line has gotten so much more expensive. Meanwhile, you know, like we were talking about, the vintage collection just keeps getting rebooted and they already have those figures from four, even sometimes five, six years ago already available with just a fresh cone of paint. You would think that they would want to try to sell it for a cheaper price to keep the, to, to increase the sales, but... They're not doing that, and I don't really understand what's going on. Well, like these companies, uh, I can't remember which one, but they're redoing all the old Toy Biz Marvel characters from the late 80s, early 90s. They're reissuing all those. There's Mm. no cost with that other than the cost of actual production. And they're the same price as uh, any other figure. Mm. I feel it's just a giant ripoff. It's corporate greed at its worst. You know, from from a non-collector, I was thinking that, you know, the retro versions sound really cool to me at first like yeah i oh, think yeah, that's what it is the original toys from back in the day with a new coat of paint and this oh, like, i think it's cool and there's a market for it for guys like you that like it and can't find the originals or at least not in good condition or guys my age that want to rebuy them that got rid of them but they should be drastically cheaper i mean if it costs you ten dollars to make something and you sell it for 20 and this version costs you $4 to make it, and you still sell it for 20 That's not fair. Yeah, it's probably just like a to trap for inexperienced buyers who just think it's, like like Sean just said, they think it's cool. So they're like, oh, well, I'll get this. But in reality, it's yeah, like the, yeah, it the is production. Cool. I think it's cool myself, but I just think they're yeah. ripping people off. They should offer yeah. those figures for significantly less money, and I think they do a whole lot better. Do you think they up the quality at all with those, or is it actually just the same... It's molds and all the same same molds and everything. They don't even have tool and die costs. Wow. All the old molds. Maybe maybe they have one guy somewhere that goes in and uh, inspects the mold and mold rather and uh, make sure it's good and fixes whatever needs to be fixing. But it's not the same as doing a full on tool and die. How's your business been during the pandemic? And I was looking on your website because I know that you have online sales as well. Like, have you been getting any business from that? Online sales did pick up but not enough to make up for the lack of foot traffic. Mm -hmm. And it's made it significantly harder to get vintage toys. People can't just walk in with things. Uh, Well, they can now, but they couldn't for over three months. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just call up my distributor and order like, you know, a 1980s Power of the Force figure, you know? Somebody Mm -hmm. has to show up with it. Where did your online sales mostly come from? Did it come from like Craigslist and eBay or did it come mostly from your online store? eBay and Amazon which that also sucks because they're very expensive marketplaces. I would make so much more if they bought it off my website and it's even cheaper on my website. So they'd save money themselves. My website is minimum 10% cheaper, minimum, some stuff drastically cheaper. As a result of this large lockdown that we've seen throughout the country, do you think that we've seen a resurgence in the toy industry? 
and that kids are playing with toys more than they were before the pandemic? In certain toys, like I never did before, but now I carry puzzles. Puzzles became oh, very popular. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and adult yeah, coloring books. <laughs> and I'm selling a lot more model kits than I used to. Yeah, I've actually been getting into some models myself. There's different difficulty levels. You can get one, you could be done in a half an hour. You could get one that will take you several days. Yeah, and exactly. if you find out you enjoy doing it, you sit there working on it, and all of a sudden, you know, three or four hours have gone by. What are some of the challenges, though, of owning an independent toy store in this age? Amazon. Everybody makes- was like, oh, Toys R Us went out of business. You must be happy. I'm like, really? That's a different market. I mean, they carry a lot of Hasbro and Mattel, but I carry hardly any of that because those companies don't want to deal with us. And we oh, have wow. to go to secondary distributors. And I can get it at wholesale for maybe a dollar less than what you can buy it for at Walmart. So it doesn't really pay to carry Hasbro and Mattel unless there's something that's really, really hot that's going to sell out. Then I'll be the only one that has it. And then, you know, the other side of that coin is everybody's going to think I'm ripping it off. Like, oh, Walmart had that for uh, $19 and you have it for 25 I'm like, well, Walmart imported it directly from China. I paid their own freight on a container and bought tens of thousands of them. And I bought two cases of 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a different, different levels of um, connections there. Walmart's a very large industry. so It's very crazy because I, I don't even sometimes think about amazon when i think about some different kinds of like product lines especially with toys the first thing i think of is not amazon but it makes a lot of sense that that would be something that sort of competes with you a lot yeah i I would say collectors probably don't go to amazon first they probably look at ebay first right but uh your general consumer just buying a toy for a kid's birthday or for themselves they don't normally collect but they saw something they really want or something from their childhood that was reissued that they really want they go to amazon mm-hmm. and the, the real thorn in my side with amazon is a lot of these brands sell directly to the consumer on amazon for very near what the wholesale price is hmm. and that's just not fair they shouldn't be allowed to do that so they're cutting out the middleman and just taking and charging the same amount right yeah, it's really crazy because I try to support local business as much as, as much as possible, especially when it comes to like co- collecting and independent stores because, you know, Amazon is just, it's such a big company and I don't know, I just feel like, like you said, all the point, I've heard the, those points from other small businesses that you've made before. It can feel a little, little scummy to try, like to supporting the, one of the most powerful businesses in the world versus your own local businesses. It's like, if you can, you might as well shop local. Maybe it'll cost a couple extra bucks, but what's a couple extra bucks when you're actually supporting someone in your community? All these manufacturers, they're all about the bottom dollar, the balance sheet. They don't care about the actual product they're making or who's buying it. They, they want to cut out everybody. They want every piece of the pie. They want to go direct to consumer, but they want to sell to wholesalers and they want to sell the stores directly, but they screw over their wholesalers and their stores when they go direct on Amazon and sell it for just one, two percent over the wholesale price. Nobody can stay in business with a one or two percent profit margin. Yeah, because overall it's hurting the economy. Mm -hmm. The only ones winning are Amazon and the the manufacturers. Wow. Yeah, because the manufacturers can afford to take that small of a profit margin on each one, but individual small businesses can't. So yeah, they, yes, sell, they sell a $20 item for a buck even over wholesale. Hmm. And 
they're making even more money because it's a dollar more than they would have sold it to me. What are your thoughts on these toy companies? Mattel did it with Transformers, but specifically the example I had when I I was talking to you earlier was Hasbro with the Jabba Sail Barge. Me personally, uh, I don't think that any major toy company with that much money should be able to or should have any reason to crowdfund for a toy. They should be able to put it on the shelves and determine if the market wants to buy it or not. I don't understand why it was necessary for them to charge people $500 and have them wait for this thing to be made instead of it just being on shelves and saying, this is this is how much it costs. If you want it, you go home with it. If not, then you don't buy it. I, I just, the whole crowdfunding of these massive toys that people have been asking for forever, like the Java Sail Barge, that was like one of the kids' dream toys back in the vintage collection in the in the Return of the Jedi line in the 80s. And when Hasbro finally started to make it, they're like, oh, well, it's going to be a crowdfunding exclusive. And now if you want to get one, too bad because they don't make it anymore because it was only available for crowdfunding. They know the demand is there. They know based on their own experience, having been in the business for 100 years or whatever it is, what percentage of the people that want something will actually buy it. So there's not a lot of... Uh, unknown for them and they're just passing off all the r&d they're the number one toy company in the world literally number one they are the world's largest toy maker they are so big that three years ago they tried to buy mattel oh wow they can afford r&d they don't need to pass off the r&d costs to the consumer i mean the original purpose for crowdfunding was for a little guy to enter the market Like, I got this great idea. I just don't have the money to fund it. Let me try Mm -hmm. crowdsourcing. And then, you know, a lot of your risk is mitigated at that point. And then you make it and you deliver it. And hopefully you can become a regular maker of toys or whatever it is that you're crowdfunding and start a legitimate business. It wasn't for these corporate behemoths to pass off costs and make even more money. Right. It's it's kind of infuriating sometimes when you see that. And there are people who legitimately have good ideas and want to get like money for funding and then there's big guys just taking advantage of it. Yeah, people shame on Kickstarter and and those places for not uh, preventing these big companies from doing those sort of things. Because then on top of it, they're cutting out the toy stores. Instead of people wanting to go to a toy store and potentially walking away with the item, now you're locking it behind only the most hardcore collectors are going to buy it. And them just locking off a toy only for crowdfunding for a limited amount of time is horrible. And to top it all off, it wasn't even available for the international market. So the international market, uh, all of those Star Wars fans in Australia were not able to buy the sail barge, even if they wanted to, because Hasbro refused to ship it to them, which is insanity. And they don't even realize it, but they're hurting their own sales. There's no impulse buying with something like that. If they walked into the store to buy that, maybe they would get a couple of Jawas to go with it or some other Star Wars figure to go with it Yeah. while they're there. But in this case, no, it's just a one sale and that's it, one and done. I guess maybe one thing to thinking is, you know, if people basically pre-order it, we can make exactly this many toys and not have to worry about overstock. And then maybe they're trying to jumpstart the after sale price. So maybe they want their toys to, you know, reach a thousand dollars because they're so hard to get. I think that's the reasoning they try and convince people, but it's not true because like I said, they have decades of experience in this business. They know what percentage of people that want something will put the money down and actually buy it. 
-hmm. when you have decades and decades of sales history, you know exactly what that figure is, probably with a margin of error of only one or two percent. It's a new trend in the toy industry, and I just, I personally can't stand it. I find it really grimy. Why do these companies like, you know, Hasbro, Mattel, whatever, they know that there's going to be a, a wave of figures that aren't going to sell, you know, the Jar Jar Banks or, or a million Vaders or something, when there's like a key figure in the line that they know everyone wants, like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Clone Wars armor, and there's only a handful of them. Why does that happen? Why don't they just release the toys that they know they're going to want instead of flooding the pegs with characters and figures that aren't going to sell or people already have enough of? Well, when they're at the R&D phase, they don't know it's not going to sell. But by the time they've actually manufactured it, they have a pretty good idea. So, so say they made a bunch of these. They're already made, and now they know it's not going to sell. It's a case of 12 figures. Uh, the hottest one is going to be Darth Maul or whatever. So we'll put one of those in there, and we'll put four of the one that's not going to sell, and then two of all the others. So they're selling you plastic that you don't want just to get the one you do want. They're screwing over the stores intentionally to get rid of the stuff that they're going to be stuck with. They screw over the stores because now the stores, like if you go to Target, it's like there's a reason why the, the pegs are full of all these figures that aren't moving, and it's, it's terrible. I, I, just think, I just think that's such a bad practice. It would be one thing if the cases were evenly packed and, like, you know, at least it would be fair, but they're not. You get the figure they know for sure is going to sell and they want to keep limited. There's one in there. And then, like I said, there's two of all the others and then four of the crap one that they just need to dump. That way you have to order more cases of toys just to get a good amount of the one toy that you know is going to sell because they only put one in there on purpose. That's really annoying. Guys, familiar with Marvel Legends? The, the action figure, Marvel Legends, the six-inch Marvel yeah, figures? I think so. I am not kidding you. It's what, maybe eight years later, I still have about 40 Hawkeyes. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. I bought 20 cases when that line came out that that figure was in because I had a lot of pre-sales from my website. This was before I even had the store. And I cannot give away these Hawkeyes. Not even at $8 free shipping, nobody wants them. It's a $20 figure. You know, my cost on it was 14 so I'm willing to take a bath on it, and I still can't get rid of them. The saddest part is that no one wants to give Hawkeye some love. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a more positive note, what are your favorite licensed toys that are available for purchase on your store that you really like? I really like the old school stuff like Robotech, which is very hard to come by. There's very few companies making it right now. And I like Voltron, which Playmates was making, but I just bought literally bought the very last case last week can't get voltron anymore any of the japanese or japanese inspired robots actually, i actually have a question for you um about collecting what do you what do you look for when you want to collect an item do you actually look for playability even though it might be a shelf sitter do you look for just the way it's designed what, what are some points for me it's all eye appeal does it look really cool do i want to put that on my shelf and look at it for a long time or well, I take it off the shelf and throw it in the closet after a month. Basically buying a statue is what is what you prefer. Pretty much, because I'm 50 years old. I don't really play with my toys now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, and I'm 22. <laughs> you know, I like the collectability of it. In the, in the collector world, though, does like points of articulation matter in terms of collecting? or? I think it does, because people... Even though it's going to be a statue, they want to pose it in a cool pose. Oh, uh, it's true. Okay. Do you believe that the vintage toys from the 80s and 90s, especially, are better 
than the toys now because I feel like I don't know if it's nostalgia or what but I definitely think a lot of people think that the toys that we saw back in the day are better than the toys we're getting now they didn't look as cool and they weren't as articulated but they required a lot more imagination which is a good thing I remember as a kid I was one of the ones with a bunch of you know articulating arms and legs you know if you just gave me a plastic figure that didn't move at all I found a way to like have fun with it and I'll agree with that. I think the imagination factor is really important. It's the same thing with these Lego sets. Back in the 70s and even the 80s, they were pretty much just blocks. Required mm-hmm. a lot of imagination to build something and pretend that it looked like it. I mean, now they have all these specific pieces just for that set. So it looks right. like an X-Wing fighter or whatever that would never work in any other set. And there's a lot less imagination involved. But how do you think that like things like TV shows and video games and movies, how do you think these things influence the development of the popularity of toys in general? Everybody wants to license stuff. It sells non-licensed things by, I couldn't even tell you how much. When you see a show or a movie and you really enjoyed it and you thought it was cool, you want to take a little piece of it home, a little action figure or a vehicle to put on your shelf or remind you of the movie you enjoyed so much. So that's why I, th- I think that's why they always were, are, and probably forever will be bestsellers. Right. Because I know for me, like, especially, I always go to Star Wars um, as, as the prime example of, of toys because I remember watching, you know, even 2000, the 2003 Clone Wars show uh, on TV or whatever. And you just look in the back and you say, this character looks really cool. I'd love to buy a figure of that. And when they made a toy out of it, you you immediately want it so you can put it in your collection and play with it. Yeah, like, uh, for example, that show, The Orville. It's not at all what people expected it to be. It's like a straight-up Star Trek-type show and not a comedy. But I think whether you like it or not, the ship is really cool. And I was looking around. Is anybody planning to make this ship? It's really cool Look, and I haven't seen anything. I would love one for myself. It looked like a good show. I've been meaning to actually watch Star Trek first before I went into that, just like to get. I think it that. has good ratings, but I think initially it did not because everybody thought it was going to be a Star Trek parody, and it wasn't. It was a straight up homage to Star Trek. Oh, really? I thought it. Yeah. Was, I also thought it was just going to be um, a parody of it. It has its humorous moments, but not very many. It's pretty much a Star Trek ripoff. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the show, uh, The Toys That Made Us? And if you have, what are your thoughts on it? I absolutely loved that show, and I hope they do another season. It gives me a lot of ideas about the vintage toys and get some information that I didn't already know. I thought the most interesting one, actually, was either the Hello Kitty one or the G.I. Joe one. The G.I. Joe one was really good. Tying in the comic books to the toys to the TV show and how the multimedia empire of the toy industry works. I I thought that was so fascinating. The they were all really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of so much history to the toy industry that I never knew about before watching those episodes. I know I'm Japan does a lot of tie-ins with like animes and mangas too. Japan has like a whole multimedia tie-in thing that they do. Sometimes they produce anime episodes just so they can make toys of them and things like that. So they're redoing the Dune movie. Hopefully they get it right this time. And hopefully they come out with some really cool toys for it. I don't know if you ever read the book or not, but the book is fantastic. The original movie and the sci-fi miniseries, none of them do it even remotely any justice. I mean, there's a reason they've tried to do it so many times, right? Because the book is amazing and has won so many awards and still sells to this day. But Mm -hmm. 
the movies have bombed and they keep trying because they know the market's there if they can get it right. It's one of those things that they they know that people want it, but they just can't seem to do it justice. It's like Stephen King movies. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are horrible, but the ones they got right, they got right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame, too, because the source material is there. And, you know, they it's it's popular as it is. What's the trouble with making it good? Like, can't you just take it from the source and directly translate it? I don't know what they're doing to mess it up so many times. To do it right, Dune would require a huge FX budget, which when they had tried to do it, they didn't even have the capability. It's like, you know, they thought they could be Star Wars and invent stuff on the fly to make it look good, and they could uh, not. <laughs> that's also a common trend in the toy industry, if we look. Like, there's clearly lines and, and specific figures that people want, but for some reason, I feel like the toy industry sometimes is, is very reluctant like for example for the mandalorian that was such a popular show but now only now are they starting to release like baby yoda figures and mandalorian figures when it's like i don't know how they didn't see that coming on how how that show was like basically guaranteed to be a slam dunk because it had everything going for it but they were so far behind to get the toys working it took them that long really yeah well they were supposed to come out uh right around when the pandemic hit and then the yeah. pandemic just killed all shipping and supply chains. They're very risk averse. And the people making decisions have no experience because they probably fired the guy with experience and saw, hired somebody right out of college. The 2008 Clone Wars line was so good because like the show and the movie were coming out at the exact same time as the toys, like only a few months apart. But now it's like Hasbro is just so far behind with when they're releasing things because I, I believe that... If the Mandalorian toys launched as the show was coming out, and they sh and they showed, okay, maybe they were they were reluctant to show the Baby Yoda, but at least come out with a Mandalorian figure in his ship, and you know all, some of the other characters like the IG unit, right? Those shows, th those um, figures would have sold extremely well, and it would have done way better than if they were releasing it over a year later. I just don't get it. Yeah, well, in 1977, 1978, Kenner put the figures out in conjunction with the Star Wars movie. Uh, and really, nobody's done that since then. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because that's why Kenner was able to dominate the toy market is because the movie was out. And then what would you do to say, what would you do after your kid saw the movie? You would go to the toy store and he'd be like, I want the X-Wing, I want the Snowspeeder, I want this, I want that. And now it's like, oh, you want a Baby Yoda figure? Sorry, you have to wait six, seven months down the road when it's not mm -hmm. even cool anymore. It's not the trend. You know, it's like, it's just crazy. Instead of following the model that clearly worked, they just decided to buy that company and absorb them. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what, what Hasbro did. Is they bought all these small toy companies, and they're just absorbing them up. And you would think that with all the resources they have at their disposal, they'd be able to make the figures 10 times faster and launch them out. But no, Kenner, which was a, a small company out of Cincinnati, Ohio, was delivering more rapid production than Hasbro now. It makes no sense <laughs> to me. Well, I think McFarlane is your best bet now. He's like Kenner of the 70s, 80s. He's got cyberpunk figures launching now, and the game's not even out yet. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Oh, my God. That's smart. He does. And he also, um, the, the Halo figures are very well made. And he's a very cool guy. I've spoken with him several times. Oh, have you? What's he, what's he yeah, like? He's super like a regular guy. Last time I saw him was at Toy Fair in Manhattan in February. 
Oh, he that- took like 10 minutes out of his time to talk to me. First time I met him, I was like, I don't know. When did he do that famous Spider-Man cover? Like 84 or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I was like 14 years old and I met him at my local comic book shop. And he was he, he was pretty cool back then too. And he's still the same down-to-earth guy. Wow, that's so cool that he didn't lose sight of, of what made him so successful. What's it like going to the toy fair in New York City? Great time. I've gone every year. Um, you get to see what's coming out. I make new connections with the vendors and wholesalers and distributors and the actual companies themselves. Like I said, I met Todd McFarland again there. You know, as someone who loves toys and that's why I started this business. It's like my mecca. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see everything from, and it's, it, I feel like it's a good way to network, right? Like kind of the same thing in my industry. Like we have like a, a, a video, um, trade show every year where people connect and meet the vendors and stuff. That's kind of the same way how it is in the toy industry, I assume. Yeah. I'm always looking for new suppliers and other people in my industry to network with and like combine our buying power. Cause some people, the price does matter with how much you buy, but a lot of them, it doesn't. A lot of them are very fair to the small stores. I pay the same amount of money that uh, say Toys R Us would if they were still in business. So talking more about your store though, what are some of your favorite moments you've had while owning the store? Well, a couple of years ago, they actually filmed a little independent movie here called Three Doors from Paradise that was shown at Cannes Film Festival. That was pretty uh, cool. I saw that trailer. Yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it looked, it was an interesting movie. Did they actually filmed in your store or did they filmed in your area? Inside my store, I actually wow. appeared in the movie. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Too bad it didn't get a mainstream release and give me a little more exposure. Nobody that went to Cannes is coming here to buy toys, I don't think. Do you get like satisfaction out of just talking to people about toys in the industry or like pop culture and stuff? Is that one of your favorite things too? Yeah, I like just talking to people that walk in the door, whether they buy something or not. I always appreciate a good conversation. It's a lot more of a social job than, say, working in an IT desk for sure. No, now I just sit behind a desk and a counter all day. (laughs) Actually, no, that's not true. There's so much work with owning a business. People have no idea, especially if you're very small and can't afford to hire people to do things that bigger companies would. I do all the books. I do all the ordering. I do all the bill paying. I do all the stocking and the cleaning and everything else. Website. Literally a one-man show. Yeah, except for the one day a week my wife is here to help me. But (laughs) pretty much... What we do is watch Netflix when she's here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, also, I, I wanted to ask, um, what was kind of your inspiration for um, opening up the store, of course, other than collecting toys, but also like choosing that location as well? I was curious. Actually, it was, I couldn't pass up the rent. It was so cheap over here. Mm-hmm. Oh. And the landlord was like, you sure you want to take this spot? It's in the back. They won't see you from the street. You won't get a lot of walk-in business. I said, I do enough business online to cover the rent here, so that's not really a problem. This would just be extra. Hmm. And so the it's online a way for me to acquire merchandise. Like, people walk in with the coolest things looking to sell them. I'm like, yeah. And then also people walk in with garbage. I'm like, no, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, even bes- besides the pandemic, the online sales do pretty well. They picked up. Not enough to make up for the lack of walk-in, but they picked up. Yeah. The, the worst part of the pandemic was I really – had no source for vintage toys. Okay, so you mentioned garbage that no one wants. The answer is Beanie Babies. That's what they're always trying to sell me. 
<laughs> I wanted to ask you this. Pop vinyls. I hate pop vinyls. What are your thoughts on pop vinyls, and do people try to sell you them constantly to you? Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of answers for that question. <laughs> <laughs> the market is absolutely flooded with that stuff. You can literally buy them at 7-Eleven. And yeah, people try and sell them. And they come in here looking for them. I'm like, no, I don't carry it. There are literally thousands of pops. I don't understand the appeal of it. Me neither. I mean, I could see if it was limited and they were hard to come by. Yeah. I mean, they, some of them are kind of cute, but. You know, they come out with the Golden Girls. Like, really? The Golden Girls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I personally cannot stand pop vinyls. I think that when they first came out, I thought they were kind of cool. But now it's just like they're so soulless. They're they're artificially marketed up in terms of rareability for some of these lines. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard other people in the toy industry from from a YouTube channel called Retro Blasting. He mentioned that at his local toy store, there are people who literally have wheelbarrows full of pop vinyls and the toy the toy store owners just don't want them. Is that true? Yeah. You want to hear something I find utterly hilarious? Yes. Please tell it. You know that uh, history show Vikings that just ended? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I had them on eBay for about 12 bucks a pop, and I couldn't give them away. And that was with free shipping. They were up there for about four years, I'm going to say. And then I just happened to look around on eBay and saw that they were all vaulted and going for $100 plus. So I jacked the price up on all of them. The cheapest one was 65 The most expensive one was 120 And I sold them all in two days. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> wow. Meanwhile, last week, they all could have bought them for $12. that's crazy sometimes if the price is too good to be true it's really not the owner just doesn't know (laughs) (laughs) but bill why does the toy industry do this they put out crap that to most most people see through this and they're like no one's gonna buy that but they still try to sell it anyway why does the toy industry try to push products that are clearly going to be unpopular from the beginning is two reasons. Number one, the idiots making decisions are idiots and genuinely don't know. And number two, make as many of them as you can for as cheap as you can and make us as much money as we can. And the combination of the two is a nightmare. So I guess as long as they get it out of their warehouse and into stores, it's off their hands. So it doesn't really matter how, I guess at first, doesn't matter how well it sells as long as the stores are buying it. Yeah, plus like I mean, Hasbro doesn't care that I have forty Hawkeyes sitting here. They could care less. They just care that they sold them. Yeah, because they made mm-hmm. their money by selling it to you. Yeah, yeah, and like you said before, they can use it to fill up your the boxes you order of supplies. You know, so you don't get as much of the good toys. Yep, they make more money off you that way. And then it makes the line even more popular because everybody's searching for that one figure. I need that one figure to complete my builder figure. I remember that was that was famous from. Uh, like the two, the 2009, 2010 wave of uh, Star Wars figures, they 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 put a, like a little droid piece in there, and it said, "Oh, if you buy all eight figures in this line, even the figures you don't want, you'll have you know this special R2 unit that you can't normally find on store shelves." And they would make you buy like the background characters in Jabba's palace that nobody wants. I know I've seen. I'm surprised uh, in- they didn't come out with a stiff armed fire first Greedo. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they would have included the most important piece of the build figure in that one, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Stiff arm firing lever action. <laughs> what is your opinion on 
the fan made like repro slash like reimagine lines. And and my example would be like the Yojo, like the GI Joe fan made creations, and also like Vader Trader and the Fan Strikes Back, where they make vintage style figures, but in a new way. So like they made like a Grand Moff Tarkin style in the original vintage line because it never was made and, and other characters like that. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know some people absolutely hate them, but some people really like them. I think it's really cool personally. And uh, that's a relatively recent thing. I mean, a lot of these guys are 3D printing things and that technology didn't exist 10 years ago, at least not an affordable version of it. And just like the customizations and everything, I think it's bringing creativity to a line of toys that doesn't have any. Actually, a cousin of mine, he uh, he's pretty big into 3D printing. And he's also into like retro uh, Transformers. And there's a lot of people who would scan the original, like very expensive toys. I know like one of the huge Optimus Primes, 3D prints his own versions of them. So he actually hasn't bought a Transformers toy in a while because he can just make his own. Do they come out that good? It comes out really, really good. Though it <laughs> depends on the quality of the scan and how much effort you put into designing the pieces. But if you design all the pieces properly and you have a good 3D printer, it comes out better than some of the original toys. Some of these new 3D printers do a really good job. Yeah. But they're also very expensive. They are. It's definitely definitely uh, more expensive to get a 3D printer than it would be to buy the toy. But is this, if you I mean, you it, can't buy the $200 3D printer and expect it to look like what you're getting from Hasbro. But some nah. of those expensive ones can do it. And But you also have to buy the um, the plastic coils that you use to actually print with the those 3D are, those printer. They're actually too. pretty cheap, though. They're not too bad. Oh, they aren't? Okay. You can get a giant box of coils for a pretty low amount of money. Oh. I wonder what the electricity usage is. That's got to be pretty high. I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. It's like running in an oven for uh, 16 hours or whatever it takes <laughs> to print it. Yeah, it depends on the item. If it's like a bigger thing, it's you're using up a lot of energy, I can imagine. Uh, sometimes your a printer's going off for, could be 16, like you said, 16 hours straight. I wonder, I wonder what that looks like in the total of a year, how much energy you've used. I wonder what the carbon footprint is on that, huh? <laughs> For some reason, the collector community is very anti-repro. Or like, oh, you know, this isn't the original figure from the 70s. This isn't good enough. But it's like, okay, not everyone can have access to this. And the fact that they're making, like, style figures in that way that you will never see from a modern toy company, I think is really cool. Every single community has its purists. Do you deal with that a lot? When people come to your store, you have the purists? Once in a while. Once in a while, not too much. I guess I can I can see people having a problem with it because it's like they see it as a knockoff, and they're I think they're viewing it the wrong way. It's not a yeah. knockoff; it's just a fan-made alternative. Collecting know? is for your own personal enjoyment. Whatever yeah. you enjoy is okay for you. If somebody else doesn't like it, then they don't have to collect it. Exactly. But they shouldn't tell you what you can and can't collect. Yeah, if That's the purists really well don't said. want the recreation, then they don't have to get it. But the people who just want the figure on their shelf to look at, even if it's not the original, they just like the way it looks, why can't they get it, you know? Yeah, it, it's a different market. Yeah, for sure. So many people are, are just like that, like, oh, yeah, this isn't the this isn't the original figure that I had. You can't collect this. Or, or 
oh, the modern day toys aren't as good. You can't collect this. But if you just if you like something, collect it. For somebody who likes G.I. Joe and is a real collector, but has your average American job and can't afford to buy the USS flag. But his friend 3D prints him one over a matter of six months or whatever the hell that would take. Cool. Yeah, for sure. And then I've seen people do like really cool modifications to the flag, like uh, the, that YouTuber Retro Blasting. He modded his flag where he had it actually like stand up correctly, and he did um, some modifications to the bottom of it where you can actually store store some of the the ships and stuff underneath the the flag. So I think that stuff is is really cool. But I don't know if you wanna if you wanna do some modifications to, to it to make it like more modern and better, and you're not like damaging it or, you know, whatever, it's yours. Like, do whatever you want with it, in my opinion. With the flag. For a G.I. Joe collector, that's the grail. When it came out, it was very expensive. When it came out, it was very limited because it took up a lot of shelf space and not many got ordered. And that thing has just continued to increase and increase in value. Do you know right now, if you have one with the box, that thing's $1,500? Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> that's a lot of wow. money. Not a lot of collectors can drop fifteen hundred, and if they can, they're probably single. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny about that too is like so many of the pieces from the flag are like like a little piece here is missing, a little piece there is missing. If you have a complete flag with the box, you're considered to be like one of the greatest toy collectors out there right now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's fifteen hundred. Just the box alone, if it's in really nice shape, is four hundred dollars for an empty box. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's amazing that what the market's doing to the toy industry for retro toys. It's, it's really crazy. crazy. That's absurd. I can't believe that an empty box could the, the, the profit on selling an empty box for that much must be insane in terms of the production cost. <laughs> I think that was, <laughs> must be wild. Just if you Well, most people it. threw it away, right? And they yeah. really didn't make that many of them. Like the big toy stores of the day, I guess were Child World and Toys R Us. That box legitimately was three feet wide. They're not taking up a whole aisle just for the flag. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was it was so much money, like you said at the time too, that like one if one kid in the neighborhood had it, this this is what my dad told me because he was he grew up in that age, is like if one person in the neighborhood had it, like that was such a big deal because everyone took their G.I. Joe's and played with his flag. It was like, oh my God, he yeah. was able to get it. This is crazy. Not everyone has it. I had a lot of toys when I was growing up. My mom divorced when I was very young and she worked a lot. So she made up for it for buying me lots of toys for Christmas or my birthday or whatever. So I had lots of toys, but there was one toy I really wanted so bad, but I never got because it was too expensive. And that was the full set of die-cast Voltron lines from Matchbox that made like a 24-inch tall Voltron when you combine oh. it. Never got it. I still want it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, uh, on top of those, like, what were some of your other favorite toys that you had growing up? Japanese anime, mecha stuff. It was so new. Never seen mm -hmm. it before. And I grew up right as that stuff was coming out. I used to watch it on uh, this little tube TV with rabbit ears on it and I would have to tune to a station in Connecticut and play with the rabbit ears for it to come in so I would watch <laughs> Battle of the Planets and Robotech and Voltron Robotech, Robotech is awesome it's a shame that it didn't uh, it didn't really catch on in the United States as much as we were hoping it would that's because Harmony Gold blew that you can blame all that on Harmony Gold 
can't remember the specifics, yeah. but they are yeah. to blame solely. That's, un- that's unfortunate. Robotech was awesome. It was so good. And they still hold the license. They won't give it up, even though they refuse to do anything with it. Really? Huh. Oh, oh, my God. So that's how they blew it. Okay. So they had the license, and they just didn't capitalize on it as much as they really should have. They don't and- use it at all. There's mm-hmm. nothing. There are new series in the Robotech universe that have aired in Japan that never aired here. They won't do it. I don't know why. That's and they wild. only have the toy license with one company, Toynami. And Toynami doesn't do a lot with that license either. Well, cool, guys. Was there any anything else that anyone wanted to ask or um, add on to? Because I think this was a really good conversation. And I, I Bill, thank you so much uh, for coming on. And this is this was really fun. And I learned a lot about the toy industry that I didn't know before. Uh, I've, I've learned so much today. I can't even think of another question to even ask. <laughs> Get me some customers, fellas. Bill, why don't you plug your all your social media, your website, all that stuff? Where can people find you at? Li Toy Game is all you need to know. That's the website. That's the social. That's the email. We'll put it all in the description too. Yeah, cool. We'll put it all in the description because we definitely want people going to your store. And I know for a fact I will definitely be purchasing some of your stuff. Um, because I was looking at your website, and there's definitely some cool stuff you see. And I, and I see you're starting to sell some of the one-piece model kits. I'm definitely going to buy those. Yeah, I don't think I have any left. Sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's already out of stock. Dang it. All right. <laughs> Amazon we go. No, no. Bill, you sing much more of a pain in the neck to stock really oh that's unfortunate because i was gonna say when you get bandai stuff they bought bluefin distribution last year and they've corporatized them and now they are much harder to deal with oh that's a real that's shame a, that's unfortunate because i was gonna say when you get more bandai stuff especially those one piece model kits i definitely buy it i can get it but i'm not buying it directly from bluefin anymore i'm going to a secondary distributor so it costs me a little bit more money but not dramatic okay bluefin has become very hard to deal with it's almost like they're hasbro now well cool guys i think that's that's um about it for this episode i think again anyone have any final things to say and and bill we'll make sure that we have all your links uh in the description (laughs) so people could check your stuff out that's all from me I'm just happy. I'm happy to be a part of it. I had a good time. I didn't know no. what to expect. Cool. I hadn't heard of, uh, I mean, I've never watched a podcast in my life. I don't think there's a huge Gen Z crowd for podcasts. But uh, I tried Googling you guys. I saw iHeartRadio actually airs your podcast, at yeah, least a few of them. Yeah, we're new. We started uh, only a couple months ago as kind of, you know, like a hobby thing. Um, that's something fun. So, you know, we're, all, we're starting to become on the platforms now. Like we're on YouTube now. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, iHeartRadio and stuff. It's a good start. You guys could end up with a History Channel show next year. You never know. <laughs> well, we what appreciate that, that Bill. Hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> or A&E or one of those guys. They're all the same parent company. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Go. We'll Something see. Something to strive for. Anyway, thank you again. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care, guys. Bye.